go ahead and take our Bibles and we'll turn to begin with here over to Acts chapter 19. We looked at Acts chapter 19 there last week as we considered some thoughts on, on reaching out to those acquainted somewhat with God. And again, uh, as we considered again these individuals in Acts chapter 19 that were somewhat acquainted with God, we find out that they weren't necessarily saved yet, but they were saved as Paul reached out to them. And there's certainly a lot of people in this world that uh, know some things about God. They know things about the Word of God and uh, certainly are acquainted with uh, the things of God, and yet they need to be saved. And so I want to just consider a few thoughts from here before we move on here tonight. How to reach out as far as witnessing. Again, I believe this is a good example, and I come back to this here tonight, as Paul uh, witnessed and reached out to these ignorant disciples here. Acts chapter 19, verse number 1. It says, And it came to pass that while Paulus was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. He said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard, whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Ghost came upon them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about twelve. I'd like us to pray here tonight as we consider some more thoughts on how to reach out. But let's pray as we consider some thoughts from the Word of God. Father, thank you again for your word here tonight. And as we again consider some thoughts on reaching out, I believe, again, the Bible gives us uh, several, many, actually, examples of how to reach out. And uh, as we consider some thoughts on reaching out here tonight, help us, Lord, to see the power uh, necessary to reach out. We're going to consider that thought here tonight, Lord, and I pray that you'd help me to convey that truth to the hearer, and just bless this time as we consider some thoughts from your word. We pray this in Jesus' name, for sake, amen. You know, Acts chapter 19 sets an example that I believe, again, I, I really want you to take with you. I mean, I, I preached the message last week, on, and it talks about some people that were certain disciples. They weren't saved disciples, but they were certain disciples. And it's, it's, Noteworthy that we, we think about this. Most people in our country are, in a sense, disciples of Jesus, are they not? I mean, they might not be saved, but they're disciples of Jesus. They're people that learn from Jesus. They're students under Jesus' ministry, or at least to some degree, maybe in the church that they're attached to. And how did Paul reach out to these individuals? And I think this is necessary for us to think about. This is how I was reached out to. That doesn't mean that how I was reached out to is the way that people should be reached out to. But I'm just saying this. He questioned them. He questioned them. He questioned concerning their experience of salvation. He did this in verse number two. He said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since ye have believed? Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Here's this question. It's just a question. It's a spiritual question. It's a question you should be able to ask anybody. When did you 
have faith in Jesus Christ. When did you accept Jesus Christ? And what happened to you as far as the Holy Ghost is concerned when you believe? It's good for us to question people concerning their faith. You know, people think of their personal experience of faith and they say it shouldn't be questioned. And I understand it shouldn't maybe be questioned or people don't think it's appropriate for people to question it. But again, I, I believe if you're going to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ or you're going to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, you've got to question them personally concerning their faith. Uh, someone might say that's too direct to ask a person. Did you receive the Holy Ghost when you believed? Some people don't know about the Holy Ghost at all. They don't really know about what believing is about. And so we need to ask questions. You see also there, verse number three, he goes on and asks another question. It says, and he said unto them, unto then were you baptized? Unto then were you baptized? You know, it's okay to ask people about baptism. You know, if you're going to be associated with the Christian faith, with Bible faith, with the scriptures faith, you should be able to ask anybody about their baptism. You know, I was never really questioned about my baptism growing up. Nobody said, hey, you know, you were baptized as an infant. Why were you baptized in the first place? Nobody asked me about what that means or what that has to do with my life. And yet, at the same time, you find here in the Bible, Paul questioned their faith. He questions their experience. He questions why they were baptized, when they were baptized. Things about the Holy Ghost and belief when it comes to salvation. You see also, as we looked at last week, and I'm not going to have to turn over there, but yeah, when, when uh, Saul, Tarsus, got saved, I believe he got saved in Acts chapter 9, he was also questioned, why persecutest thou me? Why are you persecuting me? He was also questioned. Questions are a good way to open up conversation. You know, if I ask a person a question, they may not even answer that question, but normally they'll at least listen to questions that are asked. Is it right for us to question? Yes, it is. And so Paul questions these, these ignorant, I believe, disciples of the Lord, these certain disciples of the Lord concerning their faith. And we should be willing to challenge people concerning their faith. And so we see here in the Bible, Paul questioned them. But not only did Paul question them, but Paul directed them. He didn't just say, well, you got a faith system, you believe what you believe, I believe what I believe, and everything's good and that sort of thing. He actually goes on to tell them about John the Baptist. As they said, they were connected with John the Baptist's baptism. Verse 3, it says, And he said unto them, unto, Then were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And so when it comes to questioning someone, you could question someone about their faith. But again, if you're going to question someone about their faith and they maybe give you an answer that's not right according to the Bible, then you need to start giving them a scriptural answer to that question. He talked about salvation there, repentance and belief on the Lord Jesus Christ. This was the message of John. This is the message, I believe, of each disciple as they seek to bring the truth to others. Again, we looked at the example there in John chapter 6. I'm not going to go over there, but we see a misguided group of disciples there. They were following Jesus because of the food. And there's certainly people that go to church because of maybe the food or whatever is provided for them. And he told them in John chapter 6, verse 29, the will of God is that they believe on him. They believe on Christ. 
And so we need to question people. We secondly need to direct people. But uh, let's take a shift gears a little bit here tonight, and we're going to turn to Acts chapter 4 here tonight. And I want to look at tonight how to reach out powerfully as you witness. I believe every Christian wants to reach out powerfully as they witness. And we see in Acts chapter 4 some people that reach out powerfully as they witnessed. And uh, certainly, again, the Bible would teach us some things about this. And so I want to take, take a look at this thought, how to reach out powerfully as we witness for God concerning the truth. Let's start there in verse number 13, Acts chapter 4. We could read through the whole chapter, but we really don't have time here tonight, although we could say we have time if I was to preach down midnight like Paul did, but uh, I'm not going to do that here tonight. Acts chapter 4, verse number 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man that was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. When they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do with these men? For they indeed a notable miracle has been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell at Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them, that they speak henceforth to no man in his name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak nor to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all the men glorified God that, for what was done. And the man was above 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing was done. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, whom by the mouth of the servant David has said, why the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things. The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. By stretching forth thy hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them who believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said they of them that out of the things that he possessed was his own, but they all had things in common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. We're familiar with this text. Most of us have probably read through this text here before. 
But we find in the Bible these words in verse number 33. It says, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection, and great grace was upon them all. Here we see a people who were reaching out, I believe, powerfully as they witnessed. Have you ever wondered why it seems like some are so powerful in their boldness when it comes to the preaching of the Word of God, and yet others are timid when it comes to their faith? After a temporary suspension in witnessing, we find in the Bible that these disciples, Peter and John specifically, told not to preach about Jesus anymore. And they were threatened not to preach about Jesus. But they didn't decide, you know, people don't like what we're doing, so we're not going to do this anymore. And they ended up in a position where the Bible says, of the church and of these apostles there, it says, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord. In witnessing, it's not needful that we have great people skills. I don't. I don't think a lot of people do. I don't think a lot of preachers do. I don't think a lot of people in general do have great people skills. I mean, like, they're like the personality type people that, you know, have charm and charisma and all those kind of things. That's not necessary when it comes to our witnessing. I mean, if you're witnessing to someone else what is necessary, the most necessary ingredient in witnessing to someone else is power. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you can't take anything else home tonight, I want you to know this as a Christian, you need power. And I need power. And everybody who wants to witness to someone about the Lord Jesus Christ needs power. They don't need eloquence, they don't need charisma. They don't need the right words, so to speak, or the wisdom of words. They need old-fashioned power that comes from several sources. And we'll look at those sources here tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 1, it says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not to you in excellency of speech or in wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in trembling and in much, uh, sorry, and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. How to reach out powerfully to witness for God. The first thing we need to understand is the necessity of power. You know, Paul lacked eloquence. Paul, I believe, lacked charisma. Paul was not necessarily someone, again, who maybe like Apollos was eloquent, according to the scriptures. He had power in his witness. And we need that. Let's turn to Acts chapter 1. You know, people will talk about, what do you need? Well, I need this formula. Pastor, put together this formula. Hey, missionary, put together this formula. Hey, put together these sheets, so to speak, that would tell me how to witness and, and, and the way to witness and the words to witness with. And what's the introductory question? What's maybe the question you should offer or ask along the way? What do we need? We need power. Acts chapter 1, verse number 4. 
The Bible says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. I'm going to skip a few verses. Verse number 8, it says, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. There's a necessity for power. And here the Lord Jesus here tells people to wait until they have power. And then you'll be these witnesses, and ye shall be witnesses of me. Not just in Jerusalem, not just in Judea, not in Samaria, but to the uttermost part of the earth. We need that power that the Bible speaks about. In Luke chapter 24, just back up here, Luke chapter uh, 24, verse number 49, the Bible speaks of this necessity of power. Uh, we could do things with passion. We could do things after the flesh. We could do things maybe after the life of someone else. Someone might preach after the, the spirit, so to speak, of Billy Sunday or whatever it might be. But we need power. That's what we need. Luke 24, verse 49, it says, And behold, I send the promise of the Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. There's a necessity when it comes to power. And we may need to wait for power. We may need to pray for power, as we see here in Acts chapter 4. Let's turn back there. And we'll look here tonight at the resources we find here in the Bible as far as power is concerned. You know, we see here in Acts chapter 4, verse number 29 and following, that the apostles there uh, became very powerful in their witness. And uh, we want to consider here, first of all, one of the resources of power uh, here tonight. The first is the first resource for power is boldly conveying the truth because in the word of God, there's power. Boldly convey the truth because in the word of God, there's power. In Acts chapter 4, verse number 29, it says, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto these servants with that with boldness we may speak thy word. By stretching forth thine hands to heal, and, and with that signs and wonders may be done in the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And as they spoke the word of God with boldness, it says in verse 32, And the multitude of them believed were one heart, a people that were touched by the boldness of conveying the truth. We need boldness. Powerful words. Persuasive words. And God's words to be used as we witness. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Someone might say, well, someone needs this, that when it comes to witnessing. They need this event to take place in their life and all these kind of things and they might say, well, this relative of mine, I'll, I'll just wait till maybe some, they get in some straight someday and maybe they'll come to me or talk to me or something along that lines. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 here, verse number 12 and verse number 13 tells us where we can get power. Bold, plain, conveyed truth is powerful. Bold, plain truth is powerful. 
Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The word of the Lord is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto, uh, unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The word of God is quick. It's life-giving. It's powerful. Sharp. It can cut to the heart. You want lasting effects when it comes to your witness? I want lasting effects when it comes to our witness. We need to pray for power and boldness. Paul boldly witnessed at Athens as he stood up before those people that ignorantly worshiped God. Jesus boldly witnessed to Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, that came to him by night. The rich young ruler, he was boldly witnessed to by the Lord Jesus. And the woman at the well, Jesus didn't just say, oh, you're okay in the Samaritan's faith. You're fine in your religion. No, he didn't do that. Peter, again, there spoke to Simon the saucer and said, you're in the bond of iniquity. They all spoke boldly. And they used the word of God as they witnessed. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. You know, people want to witness and they don't want to necessarily use much of the word of God to witness. If you're not going to use the word of God to witness, you're not going to have the power that you need to witness. It's through the word of God there's power. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 13, the Bible says this, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is of truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. And so when it comes to our resources, when it comes to a powerful witness, we need the Word of God. We need to be able to go into the Word of God and dig out what people need when it comes to the Word of God. We need to turn their ignorance into light and enlighten them spiritually through the Word of God. We can question them, but we then need to bring the truth to them. And so we see in Acts chapter 4, these boldly convey the truth in evangelism. Let me say this exactly when it comes to resources to powerful witnessing when it comes to evangelism. Secondly, there needs to be a people dependent on prayer when it comes to evangelism. You see this in this passage of Scripture, verse 24. I'm not going to read through all this, but verse 24, it says, And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. In, and it goes on and talks about why do the heathen rage and all these kind of things. Why do these people oppose us? Why is Pontius Pilate and Herod and the Gentiles and the people? They're all gathered together against the message of God and against Jesus Christ. And you see there, verse 29, it says, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant on thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. The second resource for power is prayer. Prayer must direct us in evangelism. We must be dependent on God's work to work through the evangelism that we're involved with. The effective witness, the witness of the apostles, 
the witness of Paul, Peter, Jesus, John the Baptist, whoever out through history that has been powerful has been the result of prayer that accompanied their evangelism. They were to pray before they were to preach. Acts chapter 4, verse number 29, they prayed in verse number 29, and later they preached. Verse number 31, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness, and the multitude of them believed were one heart and one soul. You see them pray, and then you see God answered their prayer and giving them boldness to speak. They depended on God to give them boldness to speak. You know, it would have been easy for them not to be bold when it comes to speak because they had been threatened. They've been told not to speak. And so we need to pray for boldness to speak. We need to pray for wisdom, the wisdom of God in what to say and to speak. We need to pray for fruit to abound as we speak when it comes uh, to us in evangelism. But thirdly, I want to consider here tonight from Acts chapter 4, the third ingredient that we find here in the Bible when it comes to resources and evangelism is there's a need to have the Holy Spirit work with us in our evangelism. Acts chapter 4, verse number 31, it says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken, and they were assembled, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the, God, the word of God with boldness. For powerful evangelism, there must be a filling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit must be there to help us in evangelism. We need to depend on the Holy Spirit. We, we, need, to, we need to pray the Holy Spirit will work, will woo, will win, or warn them. That's what we need. We need the Holy Spirit to work, to woo, that is to draw them to salvation, to win them, because the Spirit again gives life, and certainly to warn them. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, do you pray for God to fill you as you evangelize? God, fill me with your wisdom. Fill me with your spirit. Help me, Lord, to, what, to say what I should say. Help me be guided by the Spirit of God. Help the Spirit of God to be my teacher so I might teach others what you have taught me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 here, verse number 5, it says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only. The word of God is important. But our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as you know, the manner of men we were among you for your sake. Our gospel didn't come just with word. It came with power and in the Holy Ghost. Turn to John chapter 16. We say we need Jesus, and we'll sing songs about needing Jesus. But we need the Holy Spirit now. We need the Holy Spirit now to wake up people when it comes to evangelism. We need the Holy Spirit to work when it comes to evangelism. John chapter 16, in verse number 7, the work of the Holy Spirit is to be a comforter, but he's also one that reproves, and we need that. John chapter 16, verse number 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, 
It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness and of judgment to come. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to the Father and see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of the world is judged. And I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. And he shall speak not of himself, and whosoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I, that he shall take of, of mine, and, and shall show it unto you. In a little while you shall not see me, and again, a little while, and you shall not see me, because I go to the Father. We see here in the Bible, the Holy Spirit's work. What is the Holy Spirit's work? Well, verse number 7, to be a comforter. A comforter to Christians, but a reprover to the world. We need the, the Holy Spirit to reprove the world of things that would help them to come to salvation of sin. They must be enlightened when it comes to sin. They need me to enlighten when it comes to the righteousness of God and the righteousness which is of faith. They need to be enlightened when it comes to judgment to come. And someone says, well, it's a, the soul winner that does the enlightening. Yes, he may do it to some degree with his words, but he needs the Holy Spirit to enlighten those that are lost. Turn to Romans chapter 2. People need to be woken up. And that awakening must come by the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 2, verse number 4, the Bible says, Or, or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. The Holy Spirit has to convince people that God is good. There's a gospel of grace. There's a God that loves them and he's merciful and he's willing to pardon them if they'll come to him in repentance and faith. The Holy Spirit needs to work in evangelism. And so we pray for power and a filling of the Holy Spirit to help us when we evangelize. Let's turn back to Acts chapter 4. Fourthly, as we consider how to reach out powerfully in evangelism, we see that we need to boldly declare the truth in evangelism. We need to dependently pray before God when it comes to evangelism before and while we evangelize. Thirdly, we need to have the Holy Spirit work in our evangelism, and we need to be filled with His Spirit in evangelism. And fourthly, we need to present the gospel grace in evangelism. It needs to be plain and true, and maybe different than the gospel that they've heard before. Because they've probably heard a gospel of works and grace. Acts chapter 4, back up here a little bit in the text here, Acts chapter 4, verse number 8. It says, And Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto you, you rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If you this day be examined of the good deed done unto the impotent man, by whom, by what means, he was made whole, be it known unto you and to all the people of Israel that the, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand before you whole. 
This is a stone that was set at naught of ye builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We need to present the gospel of the grace of God. It's a message of life and death. It is a message of life and death. You receive the gospel, you receive life. You reject the gospel, you're going to receive death. Now someone says, well, I just don't get that. I, I mean, that's never been explained to me. I, I think you just believe the gospel. That's how it works. You just receive it. Well, how do you receive it? Well, verse 32 of this chapter says, And the multitude of them believed were of one heart and one soul. You must believe the, the gospel message. You must trust the gospel message. If there's no gospel message, there's no power. Let's turn to Romans chapter 1. Without the gospel message, there's a lack of power. There will not be not much power. You can talk about the the doctrines of God, the doctrines of creation, the doctrines of the scripture. You talk about how you difference and uh, you, you, you think differently doctrinally, all these kind of things. But we need to present the gospel, the grace of God, if we're going to uh, be powerful in our evangelism. You say, why is that? Well, look at Romans chapter 1, verse number 16. Romans 1, verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jews first, and also to the Greeks. How can someone get saved? They've got to hear the gospel. They don't receive the gospel. Uh, they, they, they aren't going to be saved. The matter of the gospel is a matter of life and death. And so, again, we need to preach the gospel in such a manner that people believe it's life and death. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Is it life or is it death for you? Is it heaven or is it hell for you? Is eternal life in a place called heaven or will it be a place of torment called hell for you? This is based on the witness of God and the word of God. But in your sin, you will be cast in a lake of fire if you do not receive the gospel of the grace of God. And you receive it by faith. 1 Corinthians mentions here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 18, it says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us that are saved. It's the power of God. We need cross preaching. We need cross preaching. The preaching of the cross. Preaching of a bloody crucifixion. Presenting to people that the Lamb of God died on that cross for you and for me. And we must be saved. Let's turn to Romans chapter 3. We must present the gospel clearly, concisely, plainly, pointedly, lovingly, helpfully. These things you see in the witness that we've been looking at, that these different people that have faced people that are religious and lost, people that were rich and lost, a soldier again that needed the truth that was... <clears throat> Someone that feared God. <clears throat> oh, what's lost? Romans chapter <clears throat> 3, verse 10. 
Romans 3, verse 10. The Bible says, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, not one. We need to present the gospel, first of all, as, as, as telling us there's bad news as a sinner. There's bad news. <coughs> Romans chapter 6, verse number 23. What is that bad news? Death awaits the sinner because they burn death as a wage. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's death awaiting the sinner. The wages of sin is death, eternal death, eternal torment. Death in a place called hell. The second death, which Rome, uh, the book of Revelation talks about. And so there's death that awaits the sinner. But in Romans 6.23 it says, But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's also the gift of grace. And the gospel presents both, the, both death, but also grace. In uh, Romans chapter 4, let's turn over there. Romans 4. Verse number 25, Romans chapter, actually 3, verse 25. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sinners that are past through the forbearance of God to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness that he might uh, be just and a justifier of them that believeth in Jesus. And so we need to present the gospel clearly. That's what Philip did. That's what Paul did. That's what John the Baptist did. That's what every soul winner and witness for God seeks to do. Seek to present the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Present Jesus Christ as the only way. Let's turn to John chapter 14. People want to think, you know, I'll be okay if I have religion. A lot of people think, you know, if you have religion, you're okay. You know, if, if you're a pretty good person, you're okay. If you follow the golden rule, you'll be okay. If you do works for the Lord or do works for God, you'll be okay. But yet the Bible says here in John chapter 14, verse 6, it says here, And Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The good news is the good news of the gospel, that you can be saved and you must be saved. And again, as we consider how to reach out, we need to present the gospel clearly, concisely, plainly, openly, honestly to those that are lost, that they might believe it and they might be saved. Let's turn over to Romans chapter 5. I just want to look at one more passage on the subject of the gospel, the grace of God. The grace of God is so great that God would reach down and, 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 and seek to win people that don't love him. That God would reach down and and uh, save those that have spurned him and don't care about him. That's the gospel of grace. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, it says, For when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would do or to die. But God commended his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than uh, being now justified by his blood, 
we shall be saved from wrath through him. Plainly need to present that people need to be saved from wrath, from judgment, from hell, from death, and they can be saved by the grace of God. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 1. I'm going to look at one last point here and how to reach out to people when it comes to evangelism and how to have a powerful witness when it comes to evangelism. We need to boldly declare the truth. We need to dependently pray before we evangelize and while we evangelize. We need to depend on the Holy Ghost to direct us and to work. We need to present the gospel, the grace of God. And fifthly and finally, I want to mention here Galatians chapter 1. We need to share our testimony of faith in Jesus Christ. Our testimony of faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Galatians chapter 1 here. I want to read through verse 13 to the end of the chapter. And we find here in the Bible that Paul, again, uh, shares his testimony of grace to uh, some churches, the churches of Galatia. But you'll find in the Bible that uh, you'll see people share their testimony of salvation. Why did they do that? Because they're trying to show some people about the way of salvation. And I want to just mention this about the, a testimony of salvation. There are always three points when it comes to a testimony. First of all, who I was. Who I was. Or who you were. And what I did to be saved. And how God changed me. Now, if those don't pertain to your life, then I doubt if you are saved. There was a who I was, Mike Paulson beforehand. There's what I did to believe, what led up to my salvation experience, and then how God changed me, how I'm different than I used to be. And you see this in his testimony here. Let's go ahead and read through it. Galatians chapter 1, verse 13. For you have heard of my conversation in times past in the Jews' religion. He had a faith system. That's who he was or what he was. How that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. And profited in the Jews' religion above my equals in mine own nation. Be more exceeding zealous of the tradition of my fathers. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen and mean that I confer not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them that were apostles before me. But I went on to Arabia and returned again on to Damascus. And after three years, I went to Jerusalem to see Peter and bowl with him 15 days. But none of the other apostles saw I none, St. James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which, is, which were in Christ. But they that heard only, that he which persecuted us in times past, now preach the faith which once he destroyed. And they glorify God in me. That's a testimony. That's a testimony of someone who's been saved and changed by God. He shares his testimony with the church. I believe one of the biggest uh, 
things that we can do as Christians if we don't know much of the Bible to share our testimony with others about our salvation experience. First thing we need to do is show who or what we were before. What was Paul before? He's a very religious Jew. Very religious Jew. Verse number 13, For ye have heard of my conversation, or my lifestyle in time past with the Jewish religion, how beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. Who he was before? He was a persecutor of the church of God. And he profited in the Jewish religion above many of my equals in my own nation, being more exceeding zealous of the tradition of my fathers. He was a very traditionalist religionist. That's who he was before. Now, that may not be your testimony of salvation or my testimony of salvation. Maybe nothing even along that line might be my testimony of salvation was I was reckless, irreligious, didn't have anything really to do with God, didn't even know God. Could be like the Athenians, an idolater. Could be someone, again, of a different faith system. But when you share a testimony, you talk about who you were or what I was. He describes himself as exceeding zealous, verse number 14. He, he uh, describes himself as being, in times past, in the Jews' religion. He left the Jews' religion. And he goes on and, and mentions what he did to be saved. And it's really simple when it comes to salvation. In verse number 12, it says, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb, called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them that were the apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned unto Damascus. Goes on and talks a little bit more about what happened to him after he was saved. But what did he do to get saved? Well, it says there in verse number 15 that God called him by his grace. And God will call each one to grace. When did you meet God in grace? That's a good question. When did you meet God in grace? When did you yourself find amazing grace? We sing that song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Song, that saved a wretch like me. When, when did you receive grace? When did you find grace? He found grace there, the Bible says, when God revealed his son in me. And, he pre and, he, and immediately I confer not with flesh and blood. Again, if we looked in Acts chapter 9, you see when uh, Saul said, uh, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He immediately answers, immediately does what the Lord would have him to do. He becomes a preacher of the gospel instead of a persecutor of believers. He changes his ideas about God and grace. He learns that Jesus is God. He gets saved. And so when it comes to a testimony, you should talk about what you were, where you were before you were saved, and then how you got saved. And again, that should revolve around grace and how you saw the message of grace in the Bible, and then how God changed you. And people will see that. Verse 23, it says, And they heard only that he which persecuted us in times past, now preaches the faith which he once destroyed. 
God changed Saul so much. I can't imagine meeting a guy like Saul. I don't know any Sauls today, do you? Do you know anybody that's going around in our country persecuting churches and taking people out of churches and bringing them to prison? That's Saul before he was saved. And here's Saul after he's saved. He's preaching the faith that he once destroyed. Definitely a changed man. We should share a testimony of salvation. This is a powerful means of sharing the goodness of God that he has showed to us. Let's turn, if we would, over to Mark chapter 5. You know, you think about new converts, what can they do? Someone says, well, after they get saved by grace, they can be excited, they can be prayerful, they can be happy, they can be contented, they can have the peace that they never had before, all these kinds of things. They can grow in stability and knowledge of Jesus Christ. They can grow in grace. They can grow in different characteristics and character. But what can they do? Mark chapter 5 and uh, verse number 19 what did the demoniac of do do after he was saved by grace? What was he encouraged to do after he was saved by grace? Mark chapter 5, verse 19, Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, and saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed, began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. Imagine a demoniac like that, demon-possessed man, totally changed by grace. And he talks about the great things that God has done for him. That's where it started. Go to thy friends. Go home to thy friends. Tell your friends. Share your testimony with your friends. What good things he has done for you. Let's turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. This will be natural for those that have been saved by grace. This will be a desire of those that are saved by grace. There may be some shy that get saved by grace. And maybe they, they fear witnessing. You know, they might lose their job, might lose their reputation. All those kind of things. We see, again, there are disciples in the Bible. At least a, a few of them they seem to be somewhat secretive in their faith because they didn't want to be put out of the synagogue, etc. Um, but we find in the Bible it's good for us to share our faith with someone else, how we got saved by faith and, and how faith has changed us and that sort of thing. We see this also with the woman at the well in John chapter 4 and uh, verse number 28 and verse 29. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith unto the men, Come, See a man which told me all things ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And they went out of the city and came unto him. Did she share the gospel? No, she said, just come see this man. Is he not the Christ? Look at verse 39 of this chapter. It says, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, He told me all that ever I did. You might talk to people about how God changed your life, or how God changed your vocabulary, how God changed your desires or your goals in life, and how he's changed you. Paul was a persecutor and became a preacher. So different. Zealous in a false faith, and he became very zealous in the real faith. 
sharing our, our, our story of grace, I believe, can be an eye-opener for somebody else. For us to talk about a before and after when it comes to salvation, some have never heard of that before. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians. I'm just about done. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you have a before and after when it comes to salvation? You know there's a lot of before and afters in the Bible when it talks about uh, Christian experience, true Christian experience. When someone's saved by grace, they move from darkness to light, from the power of uh, Satan on the power of God, from a place of spiritual darkness to spiritual life. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 6, where you see people change. You find people evangelized and powerfully changed by the message of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, idolaters, nor adulterers, nor famine, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. But such were some of you. But ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. The story of grace. How to reach out powerfully in evangelism. Turn back to Acts chapter 4 and we'll close here this evening. We see in the Bible in Acts chapter 4 and verse number 33 that great power came upon the apostles as they witnessed. And certainly we want to reach people in a powerful way when it comes to evangelism. We see four, uh, five different thoughts there. First of all, we need to boldly declare the truth of God's word when it comes to evangelism. We're told not to speak, and yet they did. And as a result, many believed in verse number 32. They dependently prayed to God for boldness in evangelism. You see that in verse number uh, 29, and God gave them that boldness that they prayed about. We see again them depend on the Holy Spirit to work in them when it comes to evangelism. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost as they prayed in verse number 31. And uh, we need the Holy Ghost to work. We need God to work in our evangelism. They presented the gospel in clarity. Uh, we see that here in the Bible. It says a multitude of them believed the message that they spake the word of God with boldness. And sharing your testimony of salvation. Uh, Saul did this, not just in Galatians, but also in the book of Acts. And I think it's a good thing to do that if you can. That's a powerful way to evangelize. Let's close as we consider the word of God here tonight. Let me encourage you to witness after a like fashion.